the Supreme Court is expected to release a decision later this year that could overturn precedent and have huge implications for the 80 million-plus people on Medicaid and those enrolled in other government programs. The case, Health and Hospital Corporation of Marion County versus Tlefsky, asks whether beneficiaries in public programs can sue states if they believe their rights have been violated. That legal path has been open for decades, but may soon close. Today, a spin into civil rights law as justices consider whether people enrolled in entitlement programs can sue to enforce the benefits or care they're guaranteed. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. The federal government gives states hundreds of billions of dollars each year to run their Medicaid programs. With this money, states must cover medical care for certain populations, those with low incomes, kids, and people with disabilities, for example. For the past 55 years, beneficiaries have successfully gone to court under one civil rights law to enforce these terms, like making sure Medicaid paid for life-saving medications or home care for people with disabilities. The Tlefsky case is calling that legal precedent into question. Joining us to talk about the case and its potentially seismic implications is side effects public media health equity reporter Farah Yusri in Indianapolis. So, Farah, before we get into the legal question at hand, let's first understand the facts. Georgie Tlefsky, the man at the center of the case, was put in a nursing home by his family. Why did they do that? Georgie was in his mid-70s when his daughter Susie noticed he started to forget things. It was a slow and gradual process. His dementia progressed to the point that on more than one instance, Susie and her mom feared for his safety. And in 2016, they decided to find a nursing facility. We thought we were doing something to help him and he would be close to us, right? So we could go see him on a regular basis, daily basis if necessary. And we could bring him home occasionally, you know, and we felt like he would be safe. But that's not what happened, really. It was a big mistake, right? Dan, as far as Susie and the rest of her family were concerned, Georgie was being neglected by the staff at the Valparaiso Care and Rehabilitation Nursing Home. He quickly lost his ability to walk and feed himself. And according to court documents, the family says he was over-medicated to keep him sedated instead of actually caring for his dementia. Farah, that sounds pretty grim. What did the nursing home say about all this? So the nursing home defended their actions in part saying that Georgie needed the medication because he was being violent towards staff. The family then went to the health department and filed a complaint about what was happening to Georgie, but that didn't amount to much. Eventually, the family puts Georgie in another nursing home. Susie ultimately decides to sue that first nursing home for violating their father's right, claiming he was overmedicated and abused. And the case bounces through the lower courts for years, and Georgie ends up dying about five years after first entering the nursing home. That was in 2021. So turning to the legal part of the case, the Tlefsky family sued using a law 
that gives people the right to go to court if they feel that the government has violated their civil rights. Can you tell us a little bit about this law, please? Yeah. So, Dan, this is a common law Medicaid beneficiaries or their families use if they believe their rights are being violated. For example, if they're not getting the medical care or the medications they're entitled to. The federal civil rights law is called Section 1983, and it goes back as far as the 1800s. And people have used this law to protect a range of civil rights. For example, in freedom of expression cases, police brutality, and to enforce the rights and entitlement programs like Medicaid and food stamps, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Okay, so if for decades people have been suing under this law, Farah, and it seems like courts have agreed it's established precedent, why are the justices reconsidering it? Yeah. So since the late 1960s and early 1970s, the Supreme Court ruled that people in programs like Social Security and Medicaid could sue under this law to get the benefits they're entitled to. But in the last 20 years, there have been clues that the court was open to a theory among some legal experts that people on these programs can't go to court to enforce Medicaid and other entitlement programs. And the theory is that because the federal government is giving states money to run these programs, then the contract is really between these two governments, and the people getting the benefits don't have any right to sue. And that's the basis of Indiana's argument in this case. Attorney Chris Chandeville with the Alliance Defending Freedom supports Indiana's argument. And he says this question is about contracts and gives an analogy to building a shopping mall. So we sign this contract. You know, I start the building process. I clear the land. I lay the foundation. We're both satisfied. You know, things are moving forward in a good, timely fashion. But then say a member of the community decides, hey, I don't think the shopping mall is getting built fast enough and I really want to use it. You know, should that third party be able to file a lawsuit in federal court against me and say that I'm not holding up my end of the deal in the contract that I made with you? We would say that basic fairness says no. You know, that's between the two of us to decide. And the same should apply for contracts between the federal government and the states. Questions over whether beneficiaries can use this law to sue state Medicaid programs have been bubbling up in the last few years because of a series of cases. In these cases, Medicaid recipients are challenging whether states can exclude Planned Parenthood from state Medicaid programs. Lower courts came to different conclusions on this issue. At the same time, this Talevsky case we're talking about raised similar questions about whether individuals can enforce Medicaid statutes, and the justices voted to hear it. After the break, attorneys react to oral arguments and the potential impact if the justices close this legal door for beneficiaries. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
We're back with Side Effects Public Media's Farah Yusri. We're talking about a Supreme Court case that threatens the ability of 80-some million Medicaid beneficiaries and people in other federal programs to go to court to enforce the benefits they're guaranteed. Farah, you've been talking with legal scholars about this case, and many were surprised that the Supreme Court even took it in the first place. That said, based on the oral arguments last November, how are the experts reading the sort of the tea leaves out there? Yeah, Dan, after the arguments, many of the people I talked to really took a cautious sigh of relief because it seemed that from the justice's line of questioning, they were skeptical of the Indiana Public Health Agency's argument, you know, that beneficiaries lack the right to sue. And so these legal experts told me, based on the justices' questions, they expect the court will keep allowing Medicaid patients and other federal government program recipients to go to court under this law. At the same time, they also said it's possible the justices might side with Indiana on a narrower, specific question that has to do with nursing homes. It's whether patients can bring suits against state-owned nursing facilities specifically. And a decision on this question would impact just one in 10 nursing home residents nationwide, mainly in two states. That's Indiana and Pennsylvania, because that's where most nursing homes are state-owned. Got it. Okay. And I understand that the experts think it's unlikely that the court's going to strike down the precedent. But can you give us a sense, Farah, of the real-world implications if the court does end up siding with Indiana? Yeah, I can't overstate how big of a deal legal experts think this would be. Jane Perkins is a civil rights attorney at the National Health Law Program, which represents many people on Medicaid. The reach of an adverse decision would be catastrophic. It would leave these programs really standing out there without an enforcement true enforcement mechanism. What Jane is saying is that if beneficiaries can no longer sue if they believe their rights are being violated, all of a sudden there is a lot less accountability for these programs, right? Now, a bunch of former senior federal health officials said in a court filing that the federal government relies on these civil rights lawsuits to point out problems. For example, in 2015, this law was used by Medicaid beneficiaries in Indiana to help thousands of people get access to a life-saving hepatitis C medicine that had been restricted to only the sickest patients. On the other side, from Indiana's perspective, a ruling in the state's favor could protect them from these lawsuits and save money since they're not going to spend time and resources fighting them in court. If the Supreme Court rules in Indiana's favor, are patients out of luck? Do, do they have other recourses here? So there are other tools. People, for example, can complain to health departments or other agencies like the Tlefskys did originally. And these complaints work sometimes, but Whatever the fix that this department, you know, proposes or does, it will only help that one person. Bigger civil rights lawsuits really allow for system changes that can impact hundreds or even thousands of people who are dealing with the same problem. There are also malpractice lawsuits, but those are often very complicated and expensive. And it's extremely hard to determine who to sue. Is it the nurse, the doctor, the pharmacist? One attorney told me that on average, medical malpractice cases in Indiana take about two years, and it's very hard for patients to win those cases. Farah, final thing. 
When do we expect a decision? So the court is expected to release a decision on this case sometime this spring or summer. Sometimes they save their bigger decisions to late June, so it could be a while. Farah, thanks so much for your reporting on this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Less than a year after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, abortion is banned in roughly a quarter of the country. But conservative lawmakers in some of those states are starting to have second thoughts. It just was not right for a physician to be saving the life of a woman to be at risk of going to prison. The Republican push to add exceptions to abortion bans. Next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, don't keep it to yourself. Tell someone else about it. Friend, colleague, family member. Better still, leave a rating or a review wherever you subscribe to us. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, NPR One. We're in all the places. Special thanks to Farah Usury, health equity reporter at SideFX Public Media and WFYI. The Tradeoffs team is producers Alex Olgan and Ryan Levy, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, research reporter Soleil Shah, production engineer Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Additional thanks to Tim Jost and Jane Perkins. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Alika Gurel, Ann Higby, and Diane Sipsky. Our media partner is SideFX Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Scan Foundation, the Sozose Foundation, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, California Healthcare Foundation and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.